All right, good morning. Welcome to Temple Baptist Church Sunday morning here and uh, our live stream. And a little bit different this morning. Obviously, we're not starting off with some songs here. But uh, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you got the church cast that was sent out via telephone. And uh, ultimately, the decision was made due to quite a bit of COVID activity popping up here in the last, really the last day. Uh, a lot of things started happening where we were getting information about uh, people getting sick and potential COVID things that are going on. So just out of uh, abundance of caution, the decision was made to uh, cancel the actual in-service here today and uh, actually do a live stream here this morning. So uh, without much further ado, we'll go ahead and get things uh, rolling here with some announcements for this Sunday. But again, uh, just as a reminder, so today we'll have the live stream service this morning. Uh, there will be no live stream service tonight. Uh, but I do want to recommend something here. I know um, there's folks, a lot of different things that go on there. But if you uh, have the chance to take a look at, I want you to look up Bible Believers Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, Pastor David Peacock. Uh, they are on the East Coast time zone. And uh, I believe it is at, uh-oh, my wife would know, she's, and she's not here. Anyways, you'll just have to go to their website and look. They do do a live stream, and I actually think they do it a little bit early. I think they do it at actually at 4.45. They do their evening service at 4.45 in the evening on Sundays because of how things are set up with their... They've got some people that travel quite a distance to come to church, and so they do that as a courtesy to them. But if you haven't heard Pastor David Peacock, uh, he is on our schedule to come preach here later this year, I believe in November. But uh, because we don't have service tonight, we don't have our live stream, I would recommend looking up their live stream. Again, Bible Believers Baptist Church, Jacksonville, Florida, Pastor David Peacock, 445 tonight uh, for their service on a live stream. Now, just uh, looking forward here uh, because of how things are going. At this point, we are planning on having services this Wednesday, and that would be the, the Wednesday night Bible study. That would be our Master's Club as well, as well as our Teen Club on Wednesday, and if there are any changes to that, uh, we will be sending out a church cast to let everyone know regarding that. And then also again, this Saturday coming up, uh, we still plan to have all of our regular activities with our outreach, 12 o'clock noon, we meet down there uh, between the Verizon and the Kentucky Fried Chicken, and we'll meet there at noon for uh, the street ministry, 7 p.m. here at the church. We will be having our ladies' prayer meeting, and then 8 p.m. will be our men's prayer meeting. And uh, so, again, everything at this point looking forward uh, looks like it's regularly scheduled. And, again, as far as I know, uh, we will plan to have regular services this next Sunday as well. Now, a couple things. If you've got a pen and paper, go ahead and get a, grab a pen and paper here, jot a few things down. Um, the uh, couple things to just put on the prayer list and have as an ongoing reminder for yourself is first and foremost our meeting coming up in March it'll be March 6th through the 9th it's going to be a Sunday Monday Tuesday Wednesday evangelist Tim Green and his wife uh, Miss Sandy they are going to be with us here at our church as uh, Lord willing and uh, we will have a meeting there with them this was originally going to happen this last fall but again due to some uh, just uh, brother Green gets sick we weren't able to have that. So again, put that on your calendar, March 6th through the 9th, Evangelist Tim Green. And again, put that into prayer in regards to uh, just 
whatever you need to get as a Christian that the Lord would give to him that he would then be able to give to our church here. And then also one other thing here uh, in regards to future meetings down the road is our missions conference, April 20th through 24th. And uh, the missionaries that we have lined up, uh, Jeff Williams out of New Zealand, Mike Veldheist, missionary to the Kokopah Indians in Yuma, Arizona, missionary Clint Burden to Indonesia, missionary Chris Thompson to Ecuador, and then also uh, Warren Hoffman, missionary to South Africa. And again, those are the missionaries that, are, that we have, that we're planning for. Now again, the thing to remember about this, and again, that's why we want to put, we want you guys to put this on your prayer list, is that some of these missionaries that are on our list, they can't get back to their field because their country has been closed down due to COVID restrictions. Uh, Brother Hoffman specifically, there, there have, uh, some interviews that they have to do with their government to get their passports renewed. Uh, Lord willing, everything should work out. Th- those, uh, meetings that they're going to have with the government are right at the end of March. And so those are coming up here still, and then uh, they'll ultimately be flying here in April for our missions conference. So again, keep those things uh, jotted down. Keep those on your prayer uh, prayer list there. Be mindful about asking the Lord for his, his will, his guidance in regards to not only the Lord speaking through these men and using them to minister to us, but then also, too, as we look forward to, as we finish out this current missions year, and then look forward to the next missions year in regards to what would the Lord have you to do in regards to your giving. And again, it's one of those things. Uh, we do faith promise around here, and the Lord has not been unfaithful to answer the prayer requests. And so by faith, we look for the Lord's leading and guiding in regards to what would we give that would be glorifying to Him. And again, not a pride thing, not a thing about, oh, look at me. The Lord doesn't need your money specifically. He wants to work through you and let let you see him. And you know, you think about so often in the Old Testament and and uh, going through the book of Joshua. It wasn't because of their might. There were some times where they had those battles that they fought, and it was just simply the Lord winning those battles for them. The Lord doing stuff because of them, not because they had great numbers, not because that they overpowered the enemy but because of the Lord. And that's really what we're looking for here is we're looking to see the Lord's hand and guiding in our lives that we can bring glory and honor to him. So again, uh, that's really all the announcements we have here today. And so again, as a reminder, no service tonight, but as far as we're concerned, looking for Wednesday and next Sunday, the plan is to keep going forward with uh, having regular services. However, something changes, we will definitely... Uh, put put the word out that there is a change. But at this point, plan for Wednesday, Saturday street ministry and visitation, or I'm sorry, um, prayer meetings, and then next week, Sunday as well. All right, so without much further here, here uh, we're going to have uh, Brother Ben Smoker. Uh, he'll come and preach for us this morning, and I hope you guys have a good rest of the day. Good morning to all of you people out there in Streamerland today. Um, some of you are probably maybe sitting at your kitchen table right about now. Maybe some of you are sitting on the couch. Maybe some of you are still dressed in your pajamas this morning. And who am I to judge how you dress? But even if you are sitting on the couch and in your pajamas, 
because you're not here in person for church this morning, one thing I would encourage you to do, if you haven't got it with you within arm's reach right now, please get your Bible out. Um, if nothing else, having your open Bible, I understand that you can listen to me read the verses to you, um, but there's something special about holding God's Word in your hands, seeing it uh, for yourself with your own eyes. Uh, our brains uh, are adapted to learn differently from what we read as opposed to what we hear, and it is uh, reinforced when we both hear it with our ears, see it with our eyes, what the Word of God says. So really encourage you, get your Bible out. Uh, if you're a family and you've got kids, maybe get the kids gathered around so you can all look at it together um, in the Word of God today. We're going to read from Job chapter 11. Job chapter 11. And um, as you turn there, uh, I was excited to hear Brother Glenn talking about uh, David Peacock. He mentioned that uh, Brother Peacock is going to be is scheduled to be coming here to preach in November. I have never uh, met him myself, but in the probably mid to maybe late 1990s, uh, when I was a, a young uh, preacher in Australia, I used to listen to, this will show you how old school it is, I used to listen to audio cassettes, not even CDs, I used to listen to audio cassettes of Brother Peacock's preaching, uh, and I really look forward to meeting that man. He's a tremendous man of God. Very fascinating background. Um, I won't steal his thunder. You can wait till November to find out about his background. Uh, but great preacher. Uh, look forward to uh, meeting him in November. And if you get a chance this afternoon to tune in to him, uh, that would be a good idea. Can I also suggest to you, I know that very many of you tonight are probably going to be tuning into another live stream this evening as well. Uh, a live stream of a certain football game. Uh, and people are going to be jumping out of their chairs, they're going to be jumping out of their skins, celebrating and rejoicing about uh, a bunch of overpaid athletes catching a football and running it across a painted line and getting all excited tonight. Um, I'm not saying don't watch the football, uh, but I am saying this. Nothing that any football player is going to do tonight will have any comparison or any eternal significance compared to let's say, a missionary that we support who's somewhere in the world today who's witnessing to some person, and if that one person gets saved as a result of that missionary's work, then the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repenteth. In other words, I would encourage you, if you are in regular communication with any missionaries anywhere in the world, whether you use a, one of these fancy apps to communicate nowadays with a missionary or Facebook uh, or even email. Do something to encourage a missionary today. Spend some time in prayer for a missionary or preacher today because I promise you that the eternal work that God's people are doing is far more significant than the quote-unquote professional football players. That being said, if you're going to watch the game, enjoy it. And eat nothing but healthy food while you're doing it. I think people will be doing otherwise. Job chapter 11 uh, this morning. And we're going to read starting at verse number 13. And all the way to the end of this chapter. It's not very long. Seven or eight verses. Job chapter 11 and verse 13. If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands towards him... It's okay, it's not a Pentecostal thing to do, it's a biblical thing to do. If iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, 
and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot, yea, thou shalt be steadfast, and shalt not fear, because thou shalt forget thy misery, and remember it as waters that pass away, and thine age shall be clearer than the noonday. Thou shalt shine forth, thou shalt be as the morning, and thou shalt be secure, because there is hope. Yea, thou shalt dig about thee, and thou shalt take thy rest in safety. Also, thou shalt lie down, and none shall make thee afraid. Yea, many shall make suit unto thee. But the eyes of the wicked shall fail, and they shall not escape, and their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. Let's pray before we get into this morning's message. Heavenly Father, I thank you today, Lord, for the opportunity. Lord, I know we're not gathered together in person today because of so much illness within our church. Lord, I pray firstly that you'll be with all of those people today. Lord, may they have a confidence in you this morning. May they rest and trust in you to take care of their needs, understanding that some may need to see a doctor or something like that. But Lord, more than their, uh, more than their trust in modern medicine, Lord, I pray that their trust would be in you today. I pray that as we study the Word of God, and Lord, you help me to preach your Word to the people today, Lord, that it will give them exactly what they need. Lord, I believe that the message is very uh, timely, uh, makes very uh, much sense at a time like this, but it means nothing unless you bless it, and so we ask for that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to preach to you this morning on the topic of biblical hope, biblical hope. It's very interesting in our Bible, there are two uh, books of the Bible that if you think of doom, gloom, things going wrong, and negativity, the two books that would probably come to your mind are the book of Job, the sufferings of Job, and then the book of Lamentations. Um, and it's fascinating how the book of Job and the book of Lamentations, uh, which are the books about when things are going wrong and everything appears to be going the wrong direction, they are two of the books of the Bible that focus more on hope than anything else. As a matter of fact, of the um, the 30-something times that the word hope is mentioned in the Bible, it, there are more references to hope in the book of Job than there are in any other book of the Bible, and it's not even close to margin. There's 12 references to hope in the book of Job, and no other book even gets close to that number. This is a book, Job is a book that teaches us truths about suffering and it teaches us about God's kindness and care when we are at our lowest. Uh, Some of you out there today, uh, COVID treats everybody differently, but maybe someone's tuned in this morning and you've got uh, the COVID going on in your life at the moment and it may have you feeling pretty low right now. Um, the Word of God in the book of Job can teach you how that even when things are down, even when your health is is not good. That doesn't mean that God isn't kind to you. He's still kind, He's still compassionate, and He still cares for you. Now, in this passage, in Job uh, chapter 11, we read the words of one of Job's uh, three quote-unquote friends, uh, who quote-unquote came to comfort him in his suffering. And the man who's speaking here is Zophar. Um, Eliphaz has already gone around with Job, Eliphaz gave his opinion in chapters 4 and 5. And then Bildad the Shuhite, he gave his opinion in chapter 8. And now Zophar feels like it's his turn 
to speak up. Now, if you've read the book of Job before, you know when we get to the, towards the end of the book, the 41st and 42nd chapter, uh, God himself is very critical of Job's friends. And God says, you haven't spoken the word, you haven't spoken the word of God about me like Job has. But God didn't say that they never spoke the word of God. God didn't say they never spoke the truth. Um, matter of fact, a lot of what Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, a lot of what they said was actually truth, but it was truth that was misapplied to the wrong person under the wrong circumstances. They applied the truth wrong. Uh, and you, you'll know at our church, we've been doing a lot of study of timing in the Bible and dispensations and things like that. You know, we don't deny, when we understand the Bible correctly, we don't deny certain things happened. We just say that, hey, if you study what the Bible says, those things don't apply to us. I 100% and all Bible-believing Christians 100% believe that God gave the apostles ability to perform certain miracles, including physically healing people. I don't deny that Peter healed people. I don't deny that Paul healed people. They did. The Bible says that they did. But just because they did doesn't mean you or I can heal people in the same way. It was the truth, but that doesn't mean that we apply it to ourselves. And so far in this passage, uh, he took a lot of truth and he tried to apply it to Job when it didn't actually fit. He also took some words that are generally true and tried to apply them dogmatically to every situation. You have to be careful about that. There are generalizations in the Bible. A lot of the Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, a lot of the Proverbs are general truths, but they don't always apply under every circumstance. And some people uh, misunderstand these things. Now, Zophar makes the mistake of suggesting that he has a fail-proof formula for a good and easy life. Because he said, he said, if you do these things, then these things will happen to you. And that's not always the way it goes. That is what we in nowadays we would call the prosperity gospel. That is, if you do all of these things, if you tick all of these boxes for God, then God will tick all of these boxes for you and everything's going to turn out wonderful. That's not always the case. You know, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You need to know this. If you do the wrong thing, God will make your life uncomfortable. But if you do the right thing, the world, the flesh, and the devil will make your life uncomfortable. That's how it goes. And so you've got to figure out whose side you're going to be on. You're not going to get through life easy. You're not going to get through life unscathed. There's going to be problems. The question is, do you want your problems to come from the world, the flesh, and the devil, or would you rather your problems come from the Lord? Okay, I would rather be pleasing to God and suffering some persecution from the world and the devil. 
than I would be to be pleasing myself and to be suffering from the Lord. I don't want to upset him. I don't want to disappoint him because I love him. And so when we fail to understand those things, we could sometimes take the mindset of Zophar. But I want to preach to you on three important words specifically that Zophar talked about here in verse number 18. Let's read verse 18 again. So we'll focus from, instead of focusing on verses 13 to 20, we'll narrow that focus down to verse 18, and then we're going to narrow it down even further. Verse 18, And thou shalt be secure, because there is hope. Yea, thou shalt dig about thee, and thou shalt take thy rest in safety. The three words I want to narrow in on and focus in on this morning is, There is hope. I want to preach to you this morning on the topic of biblical hope. In 1967, a long time ago now, an American psychiatrist by the name of Martin Seligman formulated a theory called learned helplessness. And Martin Seligman's theory was this. His theory was that people and even animals, and he did a lot of experiments with animals, specifically his experiments were done primarily with dogs, Uh, but his theory that he formulated and then set about to prove was that people naturally um, have hope, they have expectation that even when things are going bad, that eventually something will happen, circumstances will change, and things will turn to the good. And so he said, in order for a person to go from this optimistic mindset of it's okay, it will work out in the end, in order for them to lose hope and turn to the mindset of helplessness, they had to experience repeated disappointment over and over and over again. And gradually over time, they would get to the point of thinking, oh, there's no hope. The circumstances don't change. Things don't get better. And some of the ways that he did his experiments were uh, using various techniques of, um, of um, uh, electric shock treatment on dogs and stuff like that. But, um, and then he trained the dogs that, you know, if the dog went up, to the, went up to a wall in their box that the dog was in, went up to a wall and pressed a button, then the electric shocks would stop. And therefore, the dog would learn... Uh, Um, that the situation wasn't helpless, circumstances weren't beyond their control, all the dog had to do was go and press the button with his paw and the electric shocks would stop and therefore the dog would have hope and the dog wouldn't be helpless and he would do these experiments with, um, and then he would take the dogs and he would put them into a different one where the button, if you press the button, nothing changed, it just kept on zapping you even if you press the button and therefore the dog would become helpless. And he did all of these experiments and he actually found out at the end of all of his experiments was that his theory of learned helplessness was actually entirely wrong. He was out 180 degrees in his theory and he realized actually that animals and people are by nature pessimistic, feel helpless and have no hope until the circumstances change and something can be proved positive. That, to me, and and by the way, to Martin Seligman's great credit as a scientist who started with a theory and set about to prove it, 
to his great credit, when he proved himself to be wrong, he was humble enough to admit that he was wrong and completely changed his theory and said, actually, helplessness is the default human condition and they need to be trained that there is hope. And so I want to look at the concept of biblical hope this morning. As the world and as society slips further and further into moral decline, so too does our knowledge and use and understanding of the English language. People to a large extent nowadays don't even know what words like hope actually mean. If we look back at the old 1828 Noah Webster's Dictionary of the American uh, English Dictionary of the American Language, the big green thick dictionary, if you've ever seen one of those, here's, he draws a very interesting contrast between the word hope, wishfulness, and desire. And the problem is we tend to use those three words, I wish for, I hope for, I desire. We use those words almost interchangeably, but Webster pointed out something. There is a distinct difference between hope on one hand and desire and wishfulness on the other. And here's what he said. Hope differs from wish and desire in this, that hope implies an expectation of obtaining the good or the possibility of possessing it. Hope, therefore, I like what he says here, hope, therefore, always gives pleasure or joy, whereas wish and desire may produce or be accompanied with pain and anxiety. Hope always gives pleasure and joy, but if we are just wishful and desiring, it may produce pain and anxiety. See, they're very different things. Now, that's a great explanation that Webster gave there, and I think that he gets us close in that explanation to what biblical hope is. But then he goes on further in his definition and he said this, hope is confidence in a future event, the highest degree of well-founded expectation of good as a hope founded on God's gracious promises. A hope founded on God's gracious promises. Let us turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and see what the Bible says about this. This is a tremendous example of true hope given in our Bible. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Paul says, for I reckon, that's a great English word reckon there, it's accounting. It's an accounting term. When you reckon something, you're basically saying it's going to happen or it has happened. Um, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty 
of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Notice there, it's the redemption of the body. It does not say redemption of the soul. It does not say redemption of the spirit. It says the redemption of the body. And the reason why is because that's what it means. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Now, this is a very interesting passage, and it's an often misunderstood passage of the Bible. I've seen a, a man who was not a King James Bible-believing uh, man who was in a debate once against a Bible-believing preacher, and he tried to say that the King James uh, Bible there is wrong because it says that we are saved by hope, and he said, we're not hoping that we're saved, we know that we're saved. And he was all critical of the way that the King James translators translated the Greek words there uh, as being saved by hope. And he was saying, we're not hopeful of being saved. That man didn't know what he was talking about. You know, if he would have just studied the context, he would have noticed that the passage there was speaking about the creature and the creation being subject to the effects of mankind and saying that not just we ourselves, but also the creature, the creation, have something to look forward to. Uh, and he talks about the glorious liberty of the children of God. And it is a reference to the millennial kingdom and the rest. And it references the redemption of not of the soul, but of the body. This passage here in Romans chapter 8 is speaking of an event that Revelation chapter 20 verses 4 to 6 calls the first resurrection. And that is the hope that is being spoken of there in that passage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it also speaks of this first resurrection in great detail. And it's a beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, you can read about it all the way uh, from verses 38 down to verses 58 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But we're just going to focus on three of those verses here. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Can I tell you something? Listener, this morning, if the rapture doesn't happen soon, one of these days you are going to be dead. I am going to be dead one of these days. Uh, we want the rapture to happen so that we don't have to experience death. But if the rapture doesn't happen anytime soon, and I think it will, but we're going to experience death, but that is not where our hope is. There is a hope beyond the death of the body. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. That is when it says it's talking about being sown as being like seed. They put our body in a box. They dig a hole in the ground. They put that box down in the ground and they kick the dirt back over the box. And the seed at that point is sown. Why is our seed, our body, why is it sown into the ground? Because of corruption as a result of sin. But look what it says next. It is raised in 
incorruption. That doesn't happen straight away. That's not a reference to the soul going to heaven. The soul goes to heaven immediately when you die. If you are saved, your soul will be in heaven before your relatives have even figured out which funeral parlor they're going to work with and which cemetery your body is going to be put in. That resurrection there is not of the soul. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This is a reference yet future to the first resurrection. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And it goes on talking from there. This is the hope of the bodily resurrection, the redemption of our body as spoken in Romans chapter 8. And I want you to learn five important principles, five important principles about what biblical hope is. Biblical hope, first of all, is based on a clear, firm promise from a holy God which cannot lie. A clear, firm promise from a holy God which cannot lie. And a lot of people today have a lot of hopes for a lot of different things and their hopes are not based on clear, firm promises from a God which cannot lie. For instance, and I'll get to this sort of thing in a while, a few examples. But if you say, man, I hope this pandemic is going to be over soon. No, you wish it's going to be over soon. You desire it to be over soon. You might say, I hope it's over soon. But where is there a clear, firm promise from God that the pandemic is going to be over soon? It does not exist in the scriptures. You say, well, that's because the Bible didn't say anything about it. Uh, go read Matthew chapter 24 and verse 8, my friend. The Bible had a lot to say about what we're experiencing right now. Biblical hope is based on a clear, firm promise from a holy God which cannot lie. Secondly, biblical hope is based on confidence in God. Confidence in God, not compilation of evidence it's not we pile up a big stack of evidence and once we have sufficient evidence then we say man i hope in that because there's a lot of evidence that's not what biblical hope is it's confidence in god listen to what in romans chapter 4 verse 18 through 20 in part i've skipped a few bits out just for the sake of time but what the bible says about abraham in romans chapter 4 verses 18 to 20 it says that he, against hope, believed in hope. That is the evidence against hope. The evidence was all against him. He was a very old man. His wife was a very old woman. All of the evidence suggested they were not going to have a son. But the Bible says against hope, he believed in hope. And being not weak in faith, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. The evidence was against 
Abraham, but his hope wasn't in the evidence. His hope was in God. So firstly, biblical hope is based on a clear, firm promise from God. Then secondly, it's based on confidence in God, not compilation of evidence. Thirdly, biblical hope is independent of outside mortal influences. You say, what do I mean by that? I mean, if God said he's going to do something, it does not matter how many bad people conspire and try and work against what God has said he would do. Outside influences, other people are completely and utterly irrelevant to us having hope in God. Psalm 118 verse 8 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Not just any old man, but also princes. Princes are rulers. They are leaders. They are people in government. They are people in high places. We don't have princes in our world today. We have presidents. We have vice presidents. We have uh, politicians. We have governors. We have justices. We have judges. We have Supreme Court justices and things like that and i hope you understand this morning that as christians our hope is not supposed to be in the president biden if your hope is in him you could be in a world of hurt our hope is not in vice president kamala harris our hope is not in dr anthony fauci And it's not in any of their friends or cohorts. You know, a lot of conservatives, a lot of uh, Christians got all excited about the fact that um, during the time when uh, President Trump was the president of our nation, he got not one, not two, but three Supreme Court justices, all supposedly conservative people onto the Supreme Court. And now we have a quote-unquote conservative Supreme Court. Man, we're going to use that Supreme Court. We're going to slow down the forces of evil in this nation. That is not where our hope is. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And I've mentioned some of the ones that we usually don't like, but even, look, my hope is not that in 2024 that Trump runs again and becomes president. Now, I might think that that's cool, but there's a vast difference between what I think is cool and what biblically I have hope in. Uh, I'm not too fussed about, you know, Governor Rick DeSantis or whatever his name is, the governor down there in Florida or, or any of their kind. I'm certainly not too thrilled about, you know, conservatives like uh, Mitch McConnell or things like that. You know what? They've, the one thing that we've learned from these people is if you put your hope in politicians, your hopes are going to be dashed against the rocks. That's the wrong place. Biblical hope is independent of mortal influences. Fourthly, and this is a very, very important thing to understand, biblical hope is about a future event where the only thing in question is not a question of, is this going to happen? It is always, biblical hope is always a question of timing. Biblical hope is a question of when. Biblical hope is never a question of if. Very, very important you understand that. 
The Bible even says about hope in the book of Proverbs that hope deferred. What's deferring something? It's postponing it. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. And lastly, the fifth thing about hope, biblical hope, hope is never about what God is capable of doing. It is about what God is committed to doing. You know what Job said in Job chapter 42, just before God turned all of his bad circumstances around and turned his life back around so that it became good, before it turned back to good, you know what Job said to God in chapter 42 verse 2? He said, I know. When Job said this, he's still in sackcloth and ashes. He's still in poverty. He's lost all of his flocks. He's lost all of his children. Uh, Not lost because the Bible says that God gave him twice as many as he had before. And you see that he ends up with the same number as he had before, which means he didn't lose any the first time around. They were all God's children. They were all went to paradise. Um, That's some theology for another day. But before things turned for good, Job said about God, he said, I know that thou canst do everything. Job had hope not on what God was capable of doing, but what God was committed to doing. Let's consider for a minute false hope. False hope. From time to time, we've all had false hopes, right? I hope I get rich. 49 years old, I'm not there yet. Uh, you know, I, I, I sincerely, I'm sincerely, I'm not going to use the word hope, I'm sincerely wishing that no one out there in streamer land today at home is, you know, I sure hope you're not saying, you know, well, I bought my Powerball ticket this week and I hope I win. No, I, I hope that's not the kind of hope that you have this morning, but we hope for a lot of things and they don't necessarily happen right? Look at in Job chapter 11, our our text passage today, Job chapter 11. Did you notice when we read the text early on, at the very last verse, there's this ominous verse, but the eyes of the wicked shall fail, Job 11 verse 20, the eyes of the wicked shall fail and they shall not escape and their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. God here draws a very clear distinction between the hope of the righteous, thou shalt be secure because there is hope, yea, thou shalt dig about thee and thou shalt take thy rest in safety. The hope of God's people is very, very different than the hope of the wicked, which the Bible says shall be as the giving up of the ghost. You know, when a person gives up the ghost, when a person gets to the end of their life, we're very clever nowadays. We've got all sorts of wonderful science and technology down there at the hospital. You can have a person who's on their deathbed. The Bible talks uh, very clearly uh, about uh, the Bible says that when a person dies, the spirit shall return to God, which gave it. The Bible talked about one of the ladies in the Old Testament. I can't remember if it was Rebecca or Rachel. I'm terrible with Bible names and stuff like that. But one of those ladies, uh, she died during childbirth, right? And there's that phrase, and it came to pass as her soul was in departing. The soul leaves the body at the time of death, right? The spirit leaves the body at the time of death. It's when we quote unquote, give up the ghost, right? 
So the soul leaves, the spirit leaves, the body's there. And we're so clever nowadays. I believe that we can keep a body. We can keep on a machine. We can put a pipe in and we can put oxygen in. We can fill a person's lungs in, out, in, out with oxygen. We can use electricity to keep the heart tick, 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 tick. But if the spirit and the soul have departed, then you're dead regardless of what the life support machine is registering on that little computer screen. We see little blips going up and down. You might not be flatlining there on that thing, but if the spirit and the soul have departed, then you're dead. And the Bible says their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. There are a lot of people in this world today and right now their hope is on a life support system and they know it. The world is becoming increasingly helpless and hopeless and that's what the Bible says their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. Now Christians sometimes debate about whether in the year 2022 they'll say well uh, some people say, man, it's the worst time to ever be a Christian. It's the worst time to ever be raising children. I promise you this, it's not an easy time to be raising children, is it? But it's an interesting debate that people have. Some people say, and I lean very strongly in that camp of saying, it's the best time to ever live and be a Christian because we are the generation that is very likely to see the Lord's return. And that's exciting to me. Uh, by the way, we are seeing more of God's promises. We are seeing more of God's prophetic plan being fulfilled than what previous generations have seen. And so in that sense, it's a great and hopeful time to live in. Uh, regardless of whether you say it's a good time or a bad time to be a Christian, uh, and the book of Ecclesiastes uh, talks about this, people who say, you know, where's the good old days gone? I wish I lived back in the good old days. The book of Ecclesiastes says, thou doest not well to inquire after this. It's pointless. It's irrelevant because you've got what you've got. And so just sitting back and wishing for the good old days doesn't change a thing. It's a waste of time. Uh, So whether we're in good days or bad days to be a Christian, I'll tell you one thing for sure. There has never been a worse time to be alive without Jesus Christ. There has never been a worse time to be a lost person. Why? For a whole bunch of reasons. The allure of the world is stronger today than it's ever been before. Temptation today is stronger than it's ever been before. Christian witness throughout the world is weaker than it's ever been before. And the world is falling apart. And everything you see in society today, including pandemic which the Bible calls pestilence in Matthew chapter 24, verse 8. Everything you see in the world today, you know what the Bible says about that? The Bible doesn't say, oh man, don't worry, it's going to get better soon. The Bible says all these are the beginning of sorrows. Never been a worse time to be a lost man or woman. Now the Bible says also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that strong delusion is coming upon the world. And it's unfolding before our very eyes. And the main event hasn't even started yet. People are becoming deluded from what truth and what reality is. If you are concerned about bad people in high places and you're not saved, can I tell you what the Bible says? The Bible says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse 
deceiving and being deceived. Can I tell you why it's a terrible day and age to be a lost person today? Maybe you're doing well financially. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the world economy is going to fail. That's not my opinion. That's not an economist's opinion. That is God's word. In the book of Job, chapter 31, uh, it says for, in verse 24, Job 31, 24, If I have made gold my hope, or have said to find gold, thou art my confidence. If I rejoice because my wealth was great, and because mine hand had gotten much, and it goes on in verse 28 to say, This also were an, an iniquity to be punished by the judge. James uh, warned, uh, and James is a book written to the 12 tribes of Israel in the context of the end times. He said, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped together treasure for the last days. Revelation chapter 18 verse 17 says, for in one hour so great riches is come to naught there is coming a collapse of the global worldwide economy the likes of which you have never seen if your hope this morning is in your financial position and your hope is not a biblical hope founded upon the truths of god's word if you are not born again you have a false hope this morning and it's going to fail and if anything that I just said, if you say, man, smoke is depressing me this morning. Can I just ask you if you're even saved? Because if you're saved, none of those things that I said that are going bad, not one of those things is supposed to be your hope. They're the things of the world. Let's look at our hope. Our hope. What is our hope? Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Where does our hope even begin? Uh, If you read Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that you were, before you were saved, you were without hope. Therefore, our hope begins where? Titus chapter 1, verse number 2, says in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Now, if you read what the commentators, God bless them, if you read what the commentators throughout hundreds of years of Christian history have said about Titus chapter 1, verse 2, they get all wrapped around the axle in this verse because they think it couldn't possibly mean what it says. Can I tell you something? Titus chapter 1, verse 2 means exactly what it says. What it means is, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. They can't handle this idea. One of the things they can't handle is this idea that God made a promise before the world began. And so they go to that word world and they say that was badly translated. It should have been, uh, it comes from the Greek eons. And the word eons sometimes means world. Sometimes it means earth. Sometimes it means an age and therefore it can't mean world because we don't believe that. Therefore it must mean an age and if God made a promise before a certain age then it was probably before the law was given. So therefore what it should have said is that God promised before Moses wrote the Ten Commandments. 
It doesn't say what God promised before Moses wrote the Ten Commandments. It says what God promised before the world began. You say, well, I don't, I got no evidence of what God promised before the world began. Then why don't you just hush up and believe what his word says? You know what I believe? I believe God gave a promise of eternal life before the world began. Do you know why I believe it? Because that's what the King James Bible says right there. He didn't have to give it to you. He didn't have to give it to me. He didn't have to give it to Adam. He didn't have to give it to Eve. Adam and Eve weren't even born yet. He made the promise when? Before the world began. Because that's what the Bible says. Hope of eternal life. You know that hymn that we sing from time to time? I have a a hope that is steadfast and sure since Jesus came into my heart. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17 uh, says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was, listen to this, it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Listen to this. We know that song, Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the cloud unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tires lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul. You say, where do we get these great hymns from? Watch what comes next. The hope set before us, verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We have hope of eternal life. It is an anchor, steadfast and sure for our souls. When we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, we have hope of eternal life. And it is upon that hope of eternal life that all other biblical hope is based. If you do not have that hope, you do not have any of the other hopes that the Bible promises. Now, I've talked a little bit about the fact that the body is sown in corruption and raised in incorruption. It's sown a mortal body. It's raised an immortal body. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. And that is the second hope that I want to talk to you about briefly. And that is... Uh, it is called in the Bible, it is called the hope of the resurrection. Acts chapter 23 and verse 6, it says, But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am called in question. We have hope of the resurrection. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to read the passage, but First Thessalonians chapter 4 talks a lot about the resurrection. Um, and it talks about that when a person dies, when a Christian dies, we are told to sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Because we have hope in the resurrection. We know that them which sleep in Jesus shall God bring with him. It is a promise of God. We have hope of eternal life. We have hope of the resurrection. We have hope that the people that we know, that we love, who have died and gone on before us, we have hope of the resurrection. We're going to meet them in the clouds and in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
It's tremendous hope. Now our third hope is in God's care. God's care. It doesn't mean that God's going to give you everything you want. It doesn't mean God's going to answer everything the way you want him to answer it. Uh, But we know that he is still going to care. And Job 11, uh, chapter 18, the text passage, Thou shalt be secure because there is hope. Yea, thou shalt dig about thee and thou shalt take thy rest in safety. Also thou shalt lie down and none shall make thee afraid. Yea, many shall make suit unto thee. God is going to care for us. Even when things are down, even when times are bad, he continues to care. And he gives us something that the world does not have to show his care for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, when we get saved, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's one of the biggest problems in the world today. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. They do not have peace with God, and they're all busy trying to make peace between Russia and Ukraine, Russia and America, America and China, China and Taiwan, Israel and Arabs. It's the wrong thing. We're trying to make peace horizontally amongst ourselves, and the world, the average, well, the majority of the world, they're lost and they have no peace between themselves and God. You cannot fix the horizontal, mankind to mankind, until you fix the relationship between mankind and God. When we get saved, we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 says that we also not just have peace with God, but we have the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Can I tell you this morning, if you're out there and you're listening, you think, man, I don't even know if God cares about me. God doesn't care about my circumstances. He doesn't care about my problem. God doesn't even care that I doesn't even seem to have care that I've got COVID right now. Yes, he does. He absolutely cares about you. Cares about how you feel. But it's part of life. It's part of death. It's a part of the effect of sin upon this world. Uh, none of us are getting through here without a bit of a bumpy ride somewhere along the way. Just because you're undergoing a bumpy ride doesn't mean that he doesn't care for you. Anyone here, uh, anyone out there, you ever flown anywhere before? You ever experienced any turbulence? I've been through some serious turbulence before in my time you know, in flying. I've done a lot of flying over the years. But you know what? Just because you're going through turbulence doesn't mean that the pilot's up there in the plane going on the controls, deliberately giving you a horrible bumpy ride. No, he's doing everything he can to get you through alive, right? He cares. Do you know why the pilot cares about how you, whether you survive the plane trip or not? Because chances are, if you die in the plane trip, he's dying with you. Okay? Of course God cares. Just because times are tough, it doesn't mean you do lose hope in God's care then we need to have hope in God's mercy. Psalm verse 33, verse 18. It says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him and upon them that hope in his mercy. Uh, Turn to Lamentations in your Bible this morning. And we're getting towards the end. At least you don't have drive time to get home. You're there. Save a bit of time there. Lamentations, I mentioned that Lamentations is like Job, it's one of the two books about people in hopeless, helpless situations and yet there's so much about hope in those passages. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 21, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I 
hope. If you're out there at home, say that word with me amongst all your family. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Why do we have hope? Because of the Lord's mercies, the Lord's compassion, the Lord's faithfulness. And when we focus on his mercy, his compassion, and his faithfulness, then we have hope. If we don't focus on his mercy, if we don't focus on his compassion, if we don't focus on his faithfulness, then we lose hope. And we replace his mercy, his compassion, and his faithfulness. We shift our hope to something in the world... And we lose hope. Now, then we have hope of glory. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, it talks about Christ in you. The hope of glory. And Colossians chapter 1 verse 5, earlier in the chapter it says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. You say, what is this hope of glory? This hope of glory that's laid up for you in heaven, it is a yet future thing. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 talks about that. Uh, now we are the sons of God, and yet it doth not appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know what the hope of glory is? The hope of glory it is a fact, it is a biblical fact, that one day... You will have a body like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be resurrected in the same way. You'll have a mind like the mind of Christ. You will live in heaven with him. You will be glorified to the point where you will finally, finally be in a place where you are no longer tempted in your body or your spirit to sin. It's the hope of glory. And lastly, this morning, in terms of what our biblical hopes are, Titus chapter 2, 11 to 14. I hope you're enjoying the Bible this morning. There's a lot of Bible in this message. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, in other words, God's grace that saves is supposed to change you the way you live. That's not legalism. You know, there's all these people out there that want to live sloppy, casual uh, Christian lives today, and they want to say you don't have to live a certain way after you get saved. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us we're supposed to change our lives. That's what it teaches us. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good work. The blessed hope. It is the rapture. That is our hope this morning. We have hope of eternal life. We have hope of the resurrection of the body. We have hope of God's care. We have hope of God's glory. Uh, sorry, God's mercy. We have hope of future glory that he'll bestow 
upon us. And lastly, we have the blessed hope, the hope that we will be the generation that does not see death. And he that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself even as he is pure. You know what? But we actually see though, hope ought to keep us going. We say, man, all of the signs, they're all pointing towards the Bible being fulfilled. The rapture is around the corner. It's going to happen and it's going to happen soon. I'm going to turn 50 this year. If the rapture doesn't happen before July 4th, I'm going to turn 50. Either that or I'm going to die before July 4th. But it's, it's the year where I'm expected to turn 50. I don't want to be in the generation that dies. I want to be in the generation that goes up at the rapture. It's the blessed hope. But what I see going on around the world is I see saved people giving up hope, quitting, getting out of the battle. Why are they doing that? Because they've taken their eyes off of their hope. Remember I told you earlier about Seligman, the psychologist who did the experiments with the dogs. Now it wasn't this person who did these experiments I'm about to tell you about. It wasn't Seligman, it was some other scientist. He did some experiments with some rats. And they put rats into containers of water where the container was so steep that the rat couldn't climb out of the container of water. And they just dropped the rats in there and they to see how long those little rats could tread water and swim. And a rat, they found on average that the average rat lasted 15 minutes of treading water, getting to the edge of that container, realizing he couldn't climb up, realizing that if he stopped paddling, he went down. And after 15 minutes, you know what the rats did? They gave up, let go, and sunk to the bottom. Now the researchers, the scientists, quickly plucked them back out dried them off, and resumed the experiment. Now, they gave them some time. They gave them a couple of days before they put them back in there again to try this experiment again. But how long did I say? Kids out there listening at home, how long did I say the rat lasted in the water? 15 minutes. But then the rat got helped. Someone came along to rescue them and pulled them out. Dried them off, gave them some food, gave them a good night's sleep, maybe stuck them back in the next day. You know what they found? Guess how long the rats lasted the second time they were put in the water? Have a guess, kids out there listening. 15 minutes was what they lasted the first time. Did they last longer? Did they last less? I got a couple of people in the sound booth uh, here this morning. I'm going to ask a guess from the sound booth. Brother, Brother Sam, how much? Give me a throw. 45 minutes. Okay, okay, I like that. Okay, so Brother Sam said uh, longer, that'd probably last longer the second time, and he suggested 45 minutes. Brother Jack said that they would last longer, and he said a couple of hours. Brother Jack was closer, it was 66. Hours, not minutes. Isn't that interesting, 66, like 66 books in the Bible? The rats lasted 66 hours hours treading water because previously they'd been rescued in other words if they have hope the first time they didn't have any hope and they gave up and they just whoop, down they go someone comes along and rescues them and you know what those rats found after 15 minutes they thought this guy's going to get me out after 30 minutes they thought he's going to get me out after an hour they thought someone eventually is going to pluck me out of here 
After 24 hours, they thought, someone's going to get me out of here. I'd better keep treading water. After 48 hours, they said, someone's going to get me out of here. I'm going to tread water. And can I tell you something? Christians who quit today, they've given up hope that someone's going to get me out of here. But we have the blessed hope. And can I tell you, Christian, this morning, maybe you think I'm calling you a rat. (laughs) Maybe I am. But can I tell you something this morning? Don't quit. Because someone's going to get us out of here. It's our blessed hope. My purpose in giving you this message this morning was hopefully to lift you up in these difficult days. I want you to shift from false hopes to biblical hopes. You see, when you have biblical hopes, and by the way, none of those biblical hopes were about good health. It's eternal life, resurrection, God's care, God's mercy, hope of glory, blessed hope. They're not about material wealth. They're not about good health. They're not about good friendships. They're not about good relationships. They're not about a good job. They're not about getting a new car. They're not about the economy improving. They're not about the pandemic going away. They're not about the next presidential election. When you stop focusing on those things and start focusing on the hope that God has given us, it's just like one of those old hymns said, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I want to finish by reading a poem which many years ago was turned into a song, and then we'll have a word of prayer and be dismissed. This poem says this, or this song, God hath not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, or peace without pain god hath not promised that we shall not know toil and temptation trouble and woe he hath not told us we shall not bear many a burden and many a care god hath not promised smooth roads and wide swift easy travel needing no guide never a mountain rocky and steep never a river turbid and deep but God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. Where is your hope this morning? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for each person who's tuned in to the time of church this morning. Lord, we look forward uh, to hopefully a time very soon, maybe hopefully as as this Wednesday, as soon as this Wednesday, that we might be able to meet together in person together again. Lord, there's something special about being with your people. And Lord, we understand the health at the moment, the situation has made it not possible today. Lord, we pray you'll be with those who are not well, help them to uh, recover well and quickly. And Lord, we pray that uh, regardless of what happens, that the preaching of the word of God today might have given people Uh, great hope lord not hope in me not hope in uh, my opinion but lord they studied and saw for themselves reading their bibles they saw where their hope ought to be in the things of god and in you your very nature that you love us care for us and have our best at heart lord if any were listening today who are not saved and feel that helplessness and that hopelessness lord i pray you help them to realize as i tried to preach today that there is no hope to the wicked And there is no hope until they receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. 
But when they do, they receive a whole lot more than just salvation. Lord, I pray that today that uh, the people who have tuned in might not just forget about what they've heard from the word of God, but might meditate upon it throughout the day. Lord, I pray that not one of them in these days when the world is losing hope, Lord, I pray that none of them who've listened today would lose hope in you. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may go back to making a lot of noise and hollering in your house and whatever it is that you're up to today. God bless.